Well, it's a bit difficult to say. We appear to have crawled into an area marked with mushrooms. What do those symbols denote? That we're in a field of mushrooms? Lieutenant, that is a military map. It is unlikely to list interesting flora and fungi. <laughs> Look at the key and you'll discover that those mushrooms aren't for picking. Good Lord, you're quite right, sir. It says mine. So, these mushrooms must belong to the man who made the map. <laughs> Either that, or we're in the middle of a mine field. Oh, dear. So, he owns the field as well. Okay, uh, hello, welcome to another episode of the Holmes Movies Podcast. My name is Anders Holmes and I'm joined over Skype by my brother Adam, the Flanders Pigeon Murderer. <laughs> man! You shot my speckled jib! That's him! That's the man! It's probably good to get these out of the way quickly. He duckle, Fritz. That's... I kept thinking about that when I was watching 1917. Yeah. Oh, what's this? Bottom sole of my boot. I have to find a patch of glass to wipe it off. Oh, yeah, it's just the bit with the with the with the with the plane crashing. I was thinking, is that a British plane? Because then they could have just linked it to Blackadder in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of developing into a distinctly boring situation. Oh, Blackadder. Uh, well, it's a great show. So anyway, yes, to, today on this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, Sam Mendes's new film, 1917, which has already been uh, generating a lot of uh, awards buzz. It won the Best Picture and Best Director at the Golden Globes, and it's up for uh, quite a few Oscar nominations. Uh, ten, it's been nominated for 10 awards. Uh, being beaten narrowly by Joker, which a lot of people are finding very surprising. And it's another year of Oscars so white and uh, BAFTAs so white as well. And male. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Just more evidence that we shouldn't really pay attention to the Oscars or awards. Yeah. Um, it seems like there are two types of films. There's the franchise films, which don't win any awards and make a ton of money. And then there are the Oscar bait movies, which are normally films for and about white middle class people so yeah yeah i know it's it's it yeah i mean just looking at like some of the like interesting films that came out last year like none of them were like like lighthouse which i thought willem dafoe and robert pattinson could have easily got oscar nominations for that film or like just not not just them but like anything that else that went into that movie i mean yeah it got cinematography the cinematography is amazing but like the production design the music the sound like i know like genre films like that don't really get noticed but like come on they could have easily made an exception yeah that surprised me also the lack of um attention paid to dolomite is my name i mean that's not you know that scott alexander and larry kurazuski those those two those are two of the best writers in hollywood right yeah they wrote, me that... they wrote edward yeah they're yeah. great writers and um you know eddie murphy is he not at least 
nominatable for that. Yeah, like, he's only. I from what I know, I think he's only been nominated once for Dreamgirls. Right, but like, I mean, this film, by all accounts, he's amazing in it. He's fantastic, and so and the whole film is about black people making movies that reflect their taste and experience because mainstream Hollywood doesn't cater to them, and mainstream Hollywood basically saying, "Yeah, we don't fuck off." Yeah, um, we 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 want to we want to give the Oscar to Tarantino again this year. Yeah. We, Anyway, um, what uh, I don't want to talk about this, but uh, yeah, it is, it's depressing. We talk about this every year, and it never gets any better. Uh, it should. I mean, it, it just. Yeah, we still have like the a movie really... industry's fucked. It's good none of us are trying to work in it. Oops. <clears throat> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I tell that to everybody I know who's in the same sort of boat as me. But yeah, I know it's it's. I mean, looking at the like, especially like the Baftas as well, and like. I think there was like some people who were nominated in the same category twice, and I'm like, couldn't they at least nominate somebody else or something? I don't know. It just it feels yeah, really Scarlett weird. Yeah, Johansson's been nominated for seven Oscars. Yeah, well, I mean, in the Oscars, she's nominated for two different categories, and I think yeah, it's a comic exaggeration, but thank you anyway. Yeah, um, um, yeah. No, I, I don't really, I don't really understand that. I don't, I don't get why. I mean, I haven't seen Marriage Story, but I don't understand why people keep like. It's boring. We've seen, haven't we seen this film a million times? Have we seen Kramer versus Kramer and Revolutionary Road and all that stuff? Haven't we? Haven't we done that? And you know, but, but I don't understand what it is about the Oscars. They they love giving awards to people who are good at like shouting in a room, which is baffling as why Al Pacino's only won one. Yeah, I watched actually Sense of the Woman, no Sense of a Woman, the other day on. Um, Ooh-ah. Ooh-ah. Uh And um, yeah, I was watching that. <laughs> I, I just. <laughs> I'm gonna take a flamethrower to this place. You're out of order. This whole place is out of order. If I was half the man I was, I'd take a flamethrower to this place. Okay, you did it better than me, but yeah, it's fine. What life? What life? I'm in the dark here. I'm in the dark. <laughs> Hi, Dougie. Um, yeah. It's a good film, but it like it it's about twenty minutes far too long. And. I mean, is there any scenery left at the end? Does Al Pacino eat it all? <laughs> just scraps by the end of it. I don't understand that film. I don't understand what it's trying to do or what it's trying to be, other than which a one says Al Pacino what? to win an Oscar. Oh right, okay, yeah. Like it's one. It's like there's so many films of that era that just feel so. They're tr- they're obviously trying to make some kind of point about something, but it gets lost in all the schmaltz, you know. Mm. I will say, great um, little performance from Bradley Whitford in that film. Yeah, Bradley Whitford's really good in that movie. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. No, no, we're not going to talk about that. Um, uh, yeah, before we get on to uh, 1917, I did want to briefly talk about some uh, movie-related stuff, movie news sort of things. Movie news. Movie news. Um, so it sort of going back a little bit. So, um, you know, we talked about uh, Star Wars on, on one of the episodes, the new one, episode nine, The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Well... The return little, of the Return of the Jedi. The Return of the Yeah, exactly. Um, basically, a few days ago, or a few, like, I think last week, um, we know we all knew that Colin Trevorrow was going to direct the movie before he left due to uh, creative differences. And J.J. Uh, Abrams came and basically made the film that, well, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> yes. And uh, so re- last week, uh, Colin Trevorrow's screenplay actually leaked online and uh 
and a lot of details about the fi- about the film that he was planning on doing. And um, I know that this is like it. It was. It, I know like in, in all these sort of things, you're like when screenplays get rewritten and things like that. Obviously, this film, if he was going to be uh, on, if he was going to be directing the film, it was going to be rewritten and all that sort of stuff. That that happens all the time. But having read some of the things that Colin Trevorrow was writing in the film, not all of it, but some of it actually sounded quite interesting more than the film that we actually got. Like what? Like what? Like what? I don't know this. I haven't seen the story at all. Uh, So basically, the title of the film wasn't going to be called uh, The Rise of Skywalker. It was going to be called Star Wars. The Rise of Palpatine. (laughs) No. Uh, Star Wars, Episode 9, Jewel of Fates. So um, this was, I'm just going to read the title, the opening crawl, if I can just find it on my... Well, the opening crawl in uh, Return of the the Return of the Return of the Jedi, the, the Rise of Skywalker was, yeah. I mean, as I said before, it read as a Trump tweet. What was it? All is like great danger or Palpatine has risen or the something The dead like speak. <laughs> the dead speak, yeah. Yeah, so this was the, this was the, this was the crawl for uh, Colin Trevorrow's draft, which um, was dated... Uh, from December 2016, and it came out a few days before uh, Carrie Fisher sadly passed away. So I guess a lot of changes were made to that script after after she died. Read it, fucking hell! Okay, so the opening title is The Iron Grip of the First Order has spread to the farthest reaches of the galaxy. Only a few scattered planets remain unoccupied. Traitorous acts are punishable by death. Determined to suffocate a growing unrest, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren has silenced all communication between neighboring systems. Led by General Leia Organa, the Resistance has planned a secret mission to prevent their annihilation and forge a path to freedom. So essentially, it was going to start just a few like days after uh, The Last Jedi. One of the more notable changes in Colin Trevorrow's script was that Rose, uh, played by Kelly Marie Tran, had a much more substantial role in the film. Well, surprise, surprise. And in one of the in one of the scenes that he had written, uh, her and Finn steal an Imperial cruiser to uh, you know steal its weapons for the resistance. And while they're on the mission, he sees a soldier, a stormtrooper without his helmet, and he recognizes that soldier. So it was going to link into this kind of arc that he was going to like Finn was going to help start an uprising of you know other soldiers in the in the first order so that was something that they that he worked into the script what they did use that in the last the rise of the sky whatever the rise of skywalker and um but they didn't do it very well i mean finn basically they just scrapped his character arc they're just like nah (laughs) they just made him shout ray every two seconds right yeah so yeah the other thing about ray um she's still nobody she's not related to palpatine and palpatine is mentioned Fucking yeah, oh. yeah. Palpatine I is podcast about how bad that decision was. Palpatine is mentioned in the story, but uh, he doesn't actually show up, so she's not related to him at all. Yeah, and well, he doesn't show up because he's dead because he got thrown into a reactor core of the Death Star that then exploded into a thousand million tiny pieces. Yeah, um, she still gets trained by uh, Luke's uh, ghost, and also Luke spends quite a bit of the script also um, trying to bring uh kylo back to uh the light side and kylo spends most of the time on mustafar and there's a scene a little bit similar to uh empire strikes back where luke skywalker fights darth vader and kylo ren actually fights uh darth vader wait what yeah what darth what like you know like a like a like a vision kind of thing 
Uh, oh, right, like the the fake Vader from Dagobah. Yeah, the fake Vader from Dagobah. Oh, uh, okay, okay. I was just fucking out. We've solved Darth Vader. We, we've done that. Let's hate yeah. Christensen. So he's, so he's haunted by uh, Luke Skywalker and also Yoda as well. They, they, a lot of the Obi-Wan Kenobi shows up as well, so they try to kind of... What? what? Wait, 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 wait. Who? Obi-Wan? Obi-Wan's ghost. Guinness or, 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 or uh, Ewan McGregor? Probably would have been Ewan McGregor. But the force ghost of Obi-Wan... I, I'm sorry if people tuned in to, to listen to about 1917, but this is important. The force ghost of... I don't, oh, this is so frustrating. So this, this film would have been shit as well, is basically what you're saying. Well, I don't know what draft this was, but it obviously was going to get rewrote. <laughs> well, what assumes quite early for 2016. Yeah, this is like... I mean, I would say... Last Jedi was just in the midst of being shot, and post po- post production was probably starting, and Rogue One was was just coming out into the cinemas. So yeah, I think Colin Trevorrow and his screenwriting partner Derek Connolly, uh, they were still figuring things out. Anyway, it sounds a little bit more interesting, but I mean, it's it's still that you know. Yeah. I mean, but it also it does. In fairness, it does sound like it's picking up on where the Last Jedi left off, which the current, which the the Revenge of the Palpatine or whatever it's called didn't. Um, you know yeah there's quite a few things that are interesting in in there one thing i don't really understand and also doesn't really fit into the timeline and i think this is something that i'm if if he had directed the film i think they could have left this bit out uh uh, kylo ren actually admits to ray that he killed her parents uh uh, due to the uh but when snoke told him to do that Yeah, that's you probably cut that. Yeah, yeah, you can easily cut that out because it doesn't really fit. The whole it. thing with Snoke in the first order—it's such yeah. a mess. It, it it doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. Like across the three films, you, the more you pick at it, the more you realize that they've just kind of made some bad guys uh, that feel like the Empire, and um, you know, it's good and it's good and bad, and it's good in some ways, bad in others. But yeah, I mean, I'm, as I said before, this is a perfectly good Star Wars trilogy. I think we can be happy with what we've got. Yeah, it just didn't exactly quite stick the landing in some ways uh, no it fucked up the landing uh, it broke <laughs> both its ankles <laughs> it landed face first yeah so yeah anyway so that's that's the little thing i wanted to say about uh, the star wars movie that could have been i always i i find it really interesting like films that you know you like that could have been made or like it, i always yeah. I, I think that's kind of cool what are your okay what are your big, biggest wish the films that you wished had been made um one of the ones I did wish kind of get made was um, Sergio Leone's like Leningrad war film that he had, he was going to do. Oh yeah, that that that's one of them. Um, Kubrick's Napoleon. Yeah, that would have been one, uh, or his version of Artificial Intelligence before Spielberg took it over. Oh Jesus! Um, yeah, I still I would have loved to have see him have a go at the Napoleon story. Mm. Um, what else is there? I mean, I, uh, it's also sometimes you think about the people who could have played certain parts. Yeah. Um, like, I know George C. Scott um, did great as General Patton in that movie, but, um, mm. I mean, he, was, he wasn't he was the first choice. I think they'd already asked John Wayne and, and uh, Robert Mitchum, but I would have loved to have seen those guys have a go. I think George C. Scott is basically perfect. So, but Yeah, that would have been pretty good. Um, um, there's probably, like, some sort of Bond film that should have been made that hasn't been... Um, or like um, a yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, Michael Cimino had a few um, 
film. Oh, I'm sure he fucking did. Yeah, I think there was like one film that he was going to do after um, Heaven's Gate, but then Heaven's Gate's uh, sort of critical and commercial failure kind of torpedoed that idea was that he wanted to do a film about the Sioux Indians and have it entirely in the Sioux language. I would have watched the hell out of that movie. Yeah, that, that sounds brilliant. Yeah, I think that I mean, would've... also problematic and the extreme with the white director but still yeah i would have watched that for that, sure that 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 would have been pretty cool i mean oh, also... and oliver stone at one point was talking about adapting son of the morning star the little bighorn yeah he, he also did at one point he was going to go back and do like a vietnam war film about the um how do you say it? is it melee melee massacre melee yeah the yeah make a film about that Ugh, that sounds heavy. Yeah. Um, Orson Welles had a bunch of movies he wanted to make that he didn't. I think I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, I mean, the 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 the, the 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 version of Touch of Evil that should have been, or the version of the Magnificent Andersons that should have been. You know, mm. that wish we could have seen those. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a ton of there's 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 lots of films that probably should have been made. Lots of really interesting films that should have been made that haven't been. Um, yeah. I think there's like, I mean, I guess there's like a, there's some people who've tried to like adapt like pieces of literature and maybe it seems like it's best as just as it is and maybe wouldn't work as a film or something. Yeah. I mean, I quite often think of, I mean, the, the, it's funny the, um, I'm just looking across at my bookshelf and I just spotted in the heart of the sea by uh, Nathaniel Filbrick. And it's a shame that that film wasn't as good as it could have been. I think when I read the book, I was like, this is crying out to be a film. Oh yeah. The, the, the Moby Dick movie that ron howard did yeah essentially um I tell you what as well i would have loved it if they could have made a sequel to master and commander yeah that would have been cool speaking of seagoing movies um anyway um there you go what could have been yeah true that uh, well moving on um so should we go on to 1917 i think we should Yes, so 1917, it's uh, directed by uh, Sam Mendes, who most people will know as uh, the director of the last two Daniel Craig Bond films, and he's also directed American Beauty, Road to Perdition, Jarhead, so he's done a war film before, Uh, Away We Go, go and uh, Revolutionary Road. And uh, 1917 tells the story of two uh, soldiers, British soldiers, who are tasked with a very impossible suicide mission where they're asked by their commanders to go across the German lines to prevent a attack from happening the day afterwards and uh, preventing hundreds and hundreds of, uh, you know, soldiers being massacred in a, you know, essentially they're going into a trap uh, that the German soldiers have sort of laid out for them. And and one of the soldiers in the, uh, in that battalion, the second battalion of the Devon, uh, the Devonshire regiment, is uh one of the soldiers uh older brother who is a lieutenant right so that is essentially the entire film and it's entirely shot as if it's uh one shot so uh roger deakins who's the cinematographer on the film is basically doing a birdman and um they pull it off actually quite nicely i think the cinematography is one of the strongest elements uh of this movie wait a second is birdman only one shot Kind of. Ah, I so hadn't picked up on that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, a lot. Of, I think with like a lot of these movies, with sort of one shot, kind of one take, what movies, whatever. 
you can kind of sort of tell where maybe they probably made some cuts. Like if you've anyone if anyone's seen uh, Alfred Hitchcock's movie Rope, because that movie is played out in real time, and the movie like is basically done in one like yeah. one shot. But there are moments where Alfred Hitchcock realized that oh shit, we're gonna run out of film, so we better like zoom in on something or just go to someone's back so they could like take the film out put another reel in yeah, yeah, yeah. and then do it again I, mean, so, seen, I saw rope last year it's um it's clever how they do that i yeah. mean they do that in this movie too yeah they do it very seamless seamlessly in this movie and i think you know I, I, sometimes i'll zoom in on someone's backpack or the, the screen will go dark for a second yeah i mean it's pretty seamless i think the way that the the film is edited it just it gives the impression of just it, it they just probably just put the cameraman through hell and just had actors just waiting to be, you know, uh, you know, shot and things like ready to be filmed and things like that. So I think the way that they choreographed this movie is pretty fantastic. And also from, you know, I just think from like a technical point of view, this movie is pretty amazing. Just not just like the cinematography, but also like the the, the lighting is very just it's beautiful. I think Roger Deakins is one of those cinematographers that uses light extremely well, and you've and we've seen yeah. that in a lot of films, particularly in. Uh, the train sequence in Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Yeah, no, I always think about that. I think if if I was teaching uh, a class on Roger Deakins, I think I would show that first. Yeah. I also think about some of the um, some of the dusk and dawn shots in the Coen Brothers' True Grit. Um, mm. I think about the um, the same the nighttime stuff that he does in uh, No Country for Old Men. But I, I I think in this film, the bit that was just Deakins as like a master was the when uh, Schofield wakes up and he's in the bombed out town and you see all the lights playing across the town and you yeah. see the shell bursts and the fires and you hear the, this wonderful music all of a sudden a new part of the score kind of comes into play and um, and it's truly like bombastic and amazing cinema yeah. um, it's sort of terrifying and beautiful at the same time and it reminded me a lot of some of the uh, World War One paintings that were done after the war depicting similar subjects mm. and uh it, it was re i thought that was breathtaking yeah it was it was it was thrilling i think the I, I think it's really i think you know it starts with like the screenplay you know alfred hitchcock said you need like a good script good script good script to make a really good movie and it's the first time that sam mendes has directed a film that he's you know he's directing it's the first time he's directing a film from a script he's written he didn't um write the film himself it was it was co-written with a just getting her name up really quickly um bear with me it's her name is Chris, uh, christy wilson kens who uh is who's just received her first oscar nomination uh for this movie so congratulations to her and she's set to have a really good 2020 because uh she's also credited as a screenwriter on edgar wright's new uh psychological horror film last night in soho which is coming out later this year so yeah, I think the script is really well. It's really, it's really well placed. Sorry, it's really well paced, and it's just like it, like everything, like all the technical elements. I really felt like it elevated the material really well. Like when the film picks up, the camera picks up. Like the language of the camera is really good, and I think Sam Mendes is really good at, you know, he's really good at like you know, directing his actors and getting really good performances out of it. And you know, he started in theater before you know moving into film, and his first movie was American Beauty, and and um i mean say what you will about american beauty but one of the strongest elements of that film are uh, the performances and but yeah. also he no, I mean, acting the acting is you know that 
the that's I think one of the great that's another great credit to this film. Um, but just I mean before I just wanted to stay on the cinematography because it's it's great the way it really immerses you in it. Like you're walking, yeah. essentially you're sort of watching the film over their shoulder, and it's um, it's incredibly immersive. And it also gives you there are these reveals that happen from time to time, and um, you know the sort of traveling down the trench, and you're seeing, you're getting this kind of visual um, history yeah. lesson, which is which I think is kind of wonderful. And then that bit where they finally stick their heads over the parapet and go into no man's land is um, it's really exciting because you yeah. not just you know because of the suspense that's built up, but then you see, you know, no man's land for people who've you know read about the war or grown up in France or Britain, especially in Germany, I'm sure as well. You know, it has a very real space in the historical imagination, in the sort of cultural imagination. And you, have, if you're going to make a film about first of all, you need to get that feel, look and feel right. And it's absolutely incredible when they go into no man's land. It's that chilling. Yeah, feeling that we've been there before. We've seen that in our mind's eye when we've celebrated Remembrance Day, or when we've gone to the, you know, Imperial War Museum or whatever it is, or we or we've thought about the First World War. Like that, that space that he creates is so vivid mm. and so alive and so true to at least what my understanding of the the, the war is. Yeah, um, it did seem it's, like uh, it's it's incredible what they what they do there, and bec- and it's because they take the decision to do that that cinematography that we have to wait to see no man's land until the soldiers go into no man's land and so that's so we don't get some big establishing shot like we see it as yeah. they see it and that makes it all the more terrifying yeah we see the film through their eyes so we feel like every moment of their anxiety when they're on the mission like the moment like they start going on the mission like the camera's really smooth and we see them going to see colin firth and all the generals and hearing about the mission but as soon as like they get given the goal it's like boom and the camera's fast and the actors are moving fast and you feel this anxiety already and there's this strong motivation uh, from their characters and yeah i completely agree it is the the way the production design of this movie is 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 amazing and it's very realistic and they did a fantastic good job with it and also just it just seems like they they studied every like material that they could find about the first world war like all these black and white photos you see of them walking along like these large puddles of water if you like fall into it you're dead and all those elements and you're just you just you have that knowledge already and they just put portrayed that really um really well on the screen and made it very frightening and just like you know they they didn't shy away from a lot of the horrors of first world war particularly with you know you know rats and everything else no the rats were really they were really great and it was sort of interesting that um i'm just looking at some of these photographs now in my book um it's really interesting that sort of initially when you see the rats, you're like, ew, a rat, disgusting. Like how, uh, and then later on, you've seen so much other horrible, like rancid yeah. ass shit that when you see the next rat, you're kind of like, eh. and you, and that's the soldier's reaction as well. Like they don't really give a fuck about the rats. They only care when that rat sets off the booby trap. Yeah. Um, that, that scene, I jumped <laughs> in my seat. I was, I knew something was, I was so scared when they went into that, um, when the they German went trench. into that bunker because um it was like a horror movie you're right and you know they're not going to come out of there without something bad happening yeah and um yeah i know that was done really really well i will say um that was the first instance though where having watched the trailer does affect your viewing of this film like i went when i got out of this film i said to myself i wish i hadn't seen the trailer 
because there are so many bits that the trailer spoils like a, a little bit like uh, yeah, basically the, the plane scene the going into the trench scene and the final scene where he's running across when the attack is happening yeah those are sort of spoilers um that the trailer should have done better with like i felt the trailers for dunkirk were much better in that regard yeah i um, think they did very well in hiding some of the sort of more yeah surprising well, keeping, moments. All their, keeping their big visual moments um you know, in their back pocket so that you could surprise the, your viewer with them. I didn't think there was anything in the film, apart from maybe the stuff in No Man's Land and a couple of other bits and pieces, but there wasn't, like, the trailer really almost covers every single major scene, and that was disappointing. Um, the trailer was almost like a mini summary of the film. Yeah, I think you have, um, I, think, I think these days, I think a lot of modern movies, they do tend to spoil quite a bit too much. And also, if you... If you if you kind of go into the movie watching it and you just see like oh I remember this scene from the trailer I remember this scene from the trailer I remember this scene from the trailer and if it's more than something you hadn't seen in a trailer then then the film hasn't really worked because then you already have an idea of the film before you go into it right and one of the biggest issues is in the trailer of course in the later bits of the trailer there's only one guy Scofield so you yeah. know that the one other guy's gonna die one point. of them dies yeah i mean that was always kind of like predictable in so many ways i will say when i mean spoiler alert uh uh any uh getting a little bit ahead of ourselves but uh but uh, yeah i think the bit where uh blake played by dean charles uh chapman who played who's in game of thrones Tom and Baratheon. Yeah. yeah he jumps out of a window he's up nicely yeah he's, he's very he's a good actor he's a really good actor. A really good actor he's amazing in this he's given a lot what's more. the other guy called though paul mccain uh, george mckay who was McKay. the main one of the main characters in the film pride yeah he's in a ton of stuff that's yeah, coming out i mean the true history of the kelly gang yeah that looks he's good. in all sorts of things yeah i mean that scene in particular when dean uh dean's character blake gets stabbed by the by the german fighter pilot that they save and ends up stabbing him i think that yeah. scene i have to say is one of the best uh well acted uh death scenes i've ever seen in a film yes and i that think was, it's amazing it's emotionally kind of tough because you've you've gotten to know this character because he saves his friend a few scenes before and he's you know he's very you know he's there for his friend and everything like that and they're good soldiers and he's motivated well, and he's charming and talkative and yeah. fun and yeah. sort of he's a, he's a bit tubby and he's sort of he's he seems to be sort of he seems to be he's an interesting psychological character because Schofield is so damaged and so obviously suffering from PTSD I mean he reminds me of Jeremy Renner's character in the Hurt Locker you know yeah that sort of total war like he's hit the war has just used him up you know and but he now he's but he also can't escape from it he's gone back you know yeah and he's and he's sort of you know he's cynical but he's also like he's he's weirdly sort of dutiful i mean it's very interesting and but the other guys he he's just sort of like yeah da, 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 you know and and he you know obviously he's scared and makes his apologies but he's also kind of just basically brave and and does you know does what he's told and then he all he gets killed because he's trying to do the the, the nice thing and help yeah. his german out and um you know when they you know as, as Schofield says let's put him out of his misery you know you think well maybe that's what they should probably, have done. probably anyway, should have done that yeah i thought that whole sequence is incredible the, the moment where they crest the hill yeah and they walk through the blossoms and you hear the story 
And then you see, you know, you go in the house, there's that mild peril. And then you, you know, there's the, the, the barn and you think, oh, okay, this is a, and you see the, the fight of the airplane going on. And then obviously that the, the plane crash, which is in, incredible. Yeah. Um, and, and we've talked about the death scene. And I think the, the moment when the, the other soldiers appear is great. And you get obviously Mark Strong in like peak, <laughs> peak Mark cool, Strong, like, he's like a statue come to life he's amazing yeah. I, I, his voice, like, I remember watching like, oh. it because you don't see him straight away you just hear his voice i was like who is that i know who that actor is and then he starts always like oh it's fucking that mark, voice it's fucking mark strong like oh like i love like they just packed like really big big name actors in small roles yeah get, there was a little bit of stunt casting going on yeah. i think we can talk about that a bit later but yeah i like, really liked mark strong and i also i thought that the that scene is incredibly important because mm. they put him in the back of that truck and then there's that great scene where he's chatting to those guys and it starts off, you know, them asking about the mission and everything. And then after a while it sort of de- devolves into this kind of soldier's banter. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's a really touching scene and it's kind of, but it also allows everyone to take a breath. Yeah. And the audience is able to just sort of like, just process what's happened a little bit. And it's also that moment, I think, where Schofield really resolves that he's going to go through with this mission. And you see that when he's pushing that truck out of the mud at the end. Like, yeah. he's like a different character now. It's like his friend's death has somehow woke, awoken something in him. And um, Great acting. it's all done through his, uh, his performance, which is so brilliant. Um, yeah, I know. I mean, you have to like, I mean, if the camera's going to be on you for such a long amount of time and follow you everywhere you go and we yeah. see the film through you, you have to really be able to push yourself further than you, you ever have. And I think George McKay and Dean Charles Chapman do a fantastic job with that and really conveying so much that we get so much from their character and get so much information, which, you know, is key to really understanding you know what's their motivation and goal in the film which is really you know important for you know actors to play off and i think they did that uh fantastically well and it is and it, i mean credit to sam mendez as well for picking the actors and directing them really well to really just go through so many you know emotional beats and like hitting each one very well yeah i thought the um i thought the 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 casting was great because of the, the of the ordinary soldiers was great because everyone was a sort of was young i think if i don't know how i felt about the um the what seemed like very deliberate placement of um black soldiers and soldiers of asian descent in the various units i thought the the indian guy was a great character and Mm. i think you could sort of argue well maybe he comes from a unit that had been integrated with another one but there were just a couple of like token black guys who turned yeah, up here and there. I, and I'm I, not sure that there were racially mixed units in the film, but I haven't actually looked this up, so I don't know, but it felt like the film was using to using this casting to show that it had a commitment to diversity without really explaining itself. Yeah, it did seem it very felt like, like... It was kind of duck a problem that Dunkirk obviously got criticized for, but it didn't explain itself. So it looked like to, to me anyway, it looked like tokenism, which is also problematic. You know, so I I don't know. What did, have you heard, read anything about this or seen no, anything? No, I mean, else? I I follow one of the actors from a TV show called I Zombie, and I think he's. <coughs> sorry, I needed a cough. Um, I think he's um, I think he's from India, and he was posting about um, how much he really enjoyed the film, but how much he liked seeing soldiers from a Indian regiment who fought in the First World War. So he felt very proud to see that on the screen. So I think in some yeah. cases that's 
important. But yeah, I did feel like they were just kind of putting them around a little bit randomly. I don't know if they really were mixed or anything like that. I haven't really looked into it, but it did seem no, like... No, nor have I. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be too quick to criticize. It, no. it could be that there were. Um, I'd be surprised, frankly, knowing the, the way. But then again, it's 1917. So many people have died that maybe they did start mixing units up. Who knows? I don't want to make... I, don't, I just feel like maybe there could have been just a footnote here. I did, I, and I will say that I really only really apply that to a couple of soldiers you see later in the movie who are black. And it might even be that Sam Mendes is saying, look, black people fought in the war, people of color fought in the war. I don't have time to show like full regiments of, yeah. um, you know, North African troops in the French army or Indian soldiers in the British army. I'm just going to put these in and trust the viewer to, to yeah. just, to show that I'm paying tribute, you know, to see that, see it for what it is that I'm paying tribute to these people. I just, it, it, for me, it was just that thing of, like, I couldn't quite work out if it felt like tokenism or if it felt like he was making us making a more sophisticated point. But in any case, I, I will say I really enjoyed the, the, the Indian character. I thought yeah. he was great. I thought, I thought the, the, the soldiers inside the truck, they were very, those actors were really good as well. Yeah, no, they were just all. That was such a great scene. The <coughs> the the whole the way the work that scene does is 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 really important. And mm. um, yeah, but also and Thomas then, Newman's score is really good. Like it, it's it's moving. Sorry, there's a fucking dog that lives downstairs is barking again. Sorry. But, um, I, thought, I thought you were saying something about there's a fucking dog barking in the in the, in the screen or something when you were watching the movie. Like someone took their dog. See, no, no, I wouldn't put it past them in this area, but no. No, no, Thomas Newman's score is is fantastic. And like it's moving when it needs to be moving. It makes the film feel exciting when it needs to be exciting. Like every like element just really worked well together. It was a really strong collaborative uh, group of people working on this film. And also just the sound department as well. Like just creating, you know, just a real great sense of realism. And the sound design for this film was fantastic. Like you really, that helped the film feel more immersive yeah the um the the gunfire and the shells and everything else yeah. is just um yeah it did remind like um, every time when there was a gunshot it did remind me a little bit of i know a lot of people are going to be doing this because a lot of people have been comparing this movie to dunkirk and in the way that both are kind of similar and you know it's like comparing like apocalypse now to full metal jacket it's like two different films and it's going to happen but yeah it did remind me a little bit of like you know i think in I think in a lot of Christopher Nolan's movies, he does like to make the bullets sound very deafening, which I guess is him trying to take a little bit of what Michael Mann does in his action scenes in his movie, particularly in Heat. But I think in this one, it sounded it was it was it was it was a good kind of level without really drawing attention to the fact like, hey, this is going to be a real cool sound movie and stuff. Like he's they, right, right. Well, it, 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 again, I think it's really ta- yeah, it's taking a leap out of that kind of immersive. Um, I mean, and I think. Yeah, the film I would compare it to in more than Dunkirk is actually Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, definitely. It takes the it takes the base reality of, you know, D Day in Private Ryan's case and the Western Front in this case, and then adds a kind of men on a mission story to it. And it, both films are quite successful. I think I think this is better than Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Um, and um, and I think that um, but I, but I also think that some of the stuff that Private Ryan did is influential on this film just in terms of the you know, being right behind the soldiers in the gun, you know, and actually yeah. the stuff that really gets brought to its full kind of realization in the series Band of Brothers, I think that has a big part to play in, in kind of creating a new, more immersive like first person kind of war style that the, this film really encapsulates. Mm. 
Yeah, it's a, but it doesn't make it feel like you're in a in a computer game, which is important. It did feel like a computer game a little bit because it's like going from like one no, place. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make it. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like a first-person shooter. I will say yes. It would be very easy to make a video game about this. Your mission is to get across. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Like level do it... one, get through the barbed wire. <laughs> yeah. yeah, level le- like yeah. Don't yeah. It, it had like in moments where it did feel like this could be like a level in like Call of Duty: The First World War or something like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think like, like I think I mean Sam Mendes is pretty good at directing action. We've seen that in Skyfall and Inspector and things like that. And I think he did very well at creating a very authentic look at trench life and also an authentic look at you know what it was like to be a soldier in that period of time, especially in towards the end of the film when he's trying to run through the lines and try and stop the attack from happening. Like he really kind of. I mean, the story, the film is a bit inspired by his grandfather, Alfred Mendes, who fought in the First World War and yeah. from a lot of his stories. And I think that really kind of comes across like the, the research and the, you know, the respect to the, the that part of history is, is very well handled. And, you know, it, it gives like an, it, yeah. I mean, I do, I do think, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think it, it, there's a problem, you know, you have to be very careful when you make any war film, especially about an incident where thousands and thousands and thousands of people died. And, you know, um, that's the, the Private Ryan does that with, with a certain amount of um, American kind of sentimentality, yeah. but still with a, with a great deal of, of sensitivity. And I think this film manages it too. I think that this film really shows the sacrifice. And I think that scene at the end in the hospital tent, the sort of, yeah. and where you get such a long and terrifying look at the wounds that these men receive yeah but, I think that's but without getting too in your face you, about it that's the cost you know that's the, the that right there is the cost of you know the, the war mm-hmm. and um and obviously we've seen a soldier die you know up close and so i think that the um the the sort of the respect is 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 real and is very um mm-hmm. is, is very tastefully done uh the sort of memorial yeah aspect of it i think one of the things i found very interesting about the film and having learned a little bit about the first world war in school and i think this movie it's very good it doesn't try to be too much of a history lesson which would have made the film feel very boring but it does give a real sense of what the sort of higher up military leadership was like and gives a very good sense of that without really kind of going into so much detail and that how it was really just there was like a very strong kind of propaganda style behind it and a lot of a lot of leaders did kind of sacrifice their soldiers a little bit in some ways and maybe like the scene where like he's just had well, his... yeah it's just it's just this ghastly chess game you know we've yeah. got people lined up opposite and you know the germans do this little trick where they pull back you know which was apparently real and you know this is a real based on a real maneuver or something they tried and you know there was the there was that offensive in 1918 where they threw everything at it and it didn't really work in the war yeah. and sort of after that um but there's that scene yeah. when they just after his friends died and he's picked up by the other soldiers and then you have them these soldiers moving the tree and then you have this general Melchick kind of guy like telling them how yeah, to yeah. move the tree. I thought that was a really brilliant moment in how just th- this sort of upper class sort of military leadership was like. And also I well, re- I mean, there's the, the classic the sort of the classic line that comes out of the First World War is that the lions led by donkeys, you know, the the mm. the men the the troops and the soldiers were sort of honourable and it was the generals who were, you know, a bunch of idiots and and that's been challenged and debated and you know, the the the, the extent to which it was generals the extent to which it's you know a kind of 
a problem of timing and circumstance and the extent to which, you know, the Kaiser, the Tsar, and mm-hmm. the, you know, the French government were, were you know, were, were culpable. It's, it's, it's all very complex. And I think, um, but it, I, I think this film, yeah, it, it pays kind of a, it, it nods in that direction and allows you to think about it. It's, it's amazing what it packs in. And it's under two hours. It's right. Just under two hours. Yeah. Long, just under two it, hours long. And it shows yeah, that you can, amazing. you, it shows that you can make a film under two hours long and make it really interesting if you do it right. Yes. And you have all the right elements. You don't have to make a film that's like two and a half hours long because if it's like, I mean, if it was like a one, if it was done really well, yeah, fine. I would have paid to see it because I, I, I'm a fan of a lot of people in there. But I think if you just have moments where it's just, you know, him walking through a field and not much happening, then it would have been like a bit pretentious. But I think, I yeah, think, do, I think the right, the... The, the right kind of things were put into like the assembly line when they were putting this film together in the editing room. Yeah, I think the only scene that I didn't, I thought was a little bit on the nose and and potentially could have been cut out was the scene with the baby. Yeah, I I'm sort of half and half on that scene a little bit. It does relate a little bit to him at the end when he takes out the pictures of his family and it says "come back home" a little bit. So I think it's... yeah, but we could have got that anyway. Like yeah, I think that that would have not lost none of its resonance uh, and none of its kind of relatability if we had just taken that out at the end. Any yeah. in any you know in any case, it, it was just all a bit obvious. Yeah, it was obvious that he was going to find a French girl and a baby, and that he was going to and the milk thing. It all felt a little bit like biblical, to be honest. Like it was sort of yeah, you know. Um, but whatever, it was it was over quickly, and then he was on and he was killing Germans in the you know yeah. that was that scene where he killed the guy in the dark was you know yeah that was pretty intense. But I think in kind of relating back to what you were saying about different ethnicities in, in, in the sol- in the ranks of like all the soldiers and stuff, maybe I think in some ways Sam Mendes and the and Christy Wilson Cairns were sort of trying to sort of have How do we get a woman in there. Get yeah. a woman in there and just like woke filmmakers, I guess. Well, I mean I don't know. I mean it, it, yeah, I, I don't I'm not I saying I'm not saying that's to, that's what they know, did. Yeah, in a film like this. Yeah. I mean, there are different ways of doing it, and I I, I, I get it. It's I, but it, it was just it just felt a little bit. Um, that scene felt like a bit of a drag. Yeah, so. I think yeah. I mean, if it was if they did like cut that scene out in like a, a later version of the film, if like if they decided to take it, you know, into the editing room on DVD and they cut that scene out, I don't think it's going to affect the film at all. No, it just makes it a bit shorter. Oh gosh, excuse me. Hmm. Uh, anyway, I I thought it was great. I thought you know yeah. A solid. I, I, my other my other problems was with the stunt casting of um, of uh, Stephen Madden. I thought that was like Stephen Madden, old. Richard Madden. Why am I getting people's names wrong all the time? About <laughs> what's happened to my brain? That happened in the last episode. Yeah, yeah. Bruce Dickinson did not get nearly buggered by Franco. Yeah, that's where the song came from. It wasn't. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Robinson. Bruce Robinson, yes. Richard Madden, Bruce Robinson. Steve Madden. Who's Steve Madden? Uh, a guy who invented shoes, I think. Invented shoes? No, he didn't invent shoes, but he invented a kind of shoe. It's it like watch Wolf of Wall Street. He's mentioned in that film. Fuck, okay. I haven't even seen that. Okay. Um, <coughs> in any case, uh, the um, I I thought having Rob Stark was a little bit much because the guy you know earlier on um you know 
what's his what's his name um the other soldier dean um, charles chapman yeah what's the what's the character's name oh uh blake blake yeah tom blake he says he says like you know he looks like me he's a bit older or whatever and i i would have loved to have seen just like a, a, another kind of a, a guy you know like just a, just a regular a regular dude. joe um, doesn't have to be this like chiseled like handsome lad i mean i will say he does he does that he performs that moment incredibly well like he's yeah. he's a really good at he's good at doing that like choked up emotion thing he's fucking uh, good yeah have you i don't know if you saw the series bodyguard no i haven't i haven't seen it yet i would like to he's he's very good at that and he he brings he comes with a certain amount of like capability he's very good at sort of wounded righteous yeah. um male suffering um and he does he sort of plays that but it, it takes you out a little bit to be like oh it's him like you know it, it i i feel like would it have yeah. killed them to cast someone less recognizable just so we could be in the moment a bit more it reminded me a little bit of like oh matt damon's like in he's he's private ryan matt it's like a bit like that matt damon reveal in saving private ryan a little bit yeah well except that in 1998 matt damon wasn't the big star that he is now like i actually think the big matt damon reveal that gets under my skin is in uh, interstellar yeah that that yeah i can i can agree with that um you know so matt damon's got a, got previous with this i mean interstellar's got a lot of other problems don't get me wrong oh yeah um, it does but um yeah, so I that was yeah, and I mean Cumberbatch. I, I like I, Cumberbatch was fine. I like seeing Cumberbatch there. Yeah, uh, I thought Andrew well that, Andrew well Scott was good. Hmm? Andrew Scott, who played uh, Lieutenant Leslie, was really good. Yeah, he's great. Um, Colin Firth, that was good casting. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think it was really just uh, yeah um, having Rob Stark turn up in the last scene after all that was it was a bit silly but i did think that moment was done really yeah, well he was so. very it was very well acted i mean i did like all the sort of big name british actors kind of coming in and doing like little small cameo roles and stuff i yeah. think all they were missing was tom hardy playing a soldier wearing a gas mask and i think that would have been fine <laughs> yeah i mean I, I, I it was nice to see um what's his name from um ben swain from the thick of it um just was you he know, in it? Crying in the trench. That's oh, that was him. In tears, you know. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't recognize him. Oh, good. It's just that's where you need Malcolm Tucker to spring up. Say, listen, you sack of fucking cum. I said, <laughs> stand up, stand up, you big sack of fucking cum. Yeah, that would have been great. But, um, you don't deserve to live. Yeah. I I did feel. Time traveled, yes. <laughs> I did feel like watching that film. I think they could. It, it would have been a really bad idea, but I was even thinking to myself because, like, Blackout of season four is set around nineteen seventeen. So I just felt like at the last bit of the movie, he just goes into a room, and then George Baldrick and Edmund Blackadder are the guys he has to tell to call off the attack or something like that. I would have shat myself with laughter <laughs> if they'd done that. That would have been amazing. I hope they do a Red Nose Day special where they do that would have been absolutely incredible if they just yeah. put in a, a general melchit maestro don't slouch darling I would, the, the black out of 1917 crossover is something we need to see yeah that, that's <laughs> so uh, i gave it i give it I, I wanted to give it uh basically four and a bit star i ended up giving it four stars maybe i'll upgrade it to four and a half stars I, I, i'm sort of on the four and a half stars yeah that's yeah. sort of my rating of it as well it, it, it's a great war movie yeah i do see it probably i mean i could easily see roger deacon's 
getting a second Oscar for this movie because I feel like the Academy does have to make up for not giving it to him many other times before. Can I feel like right. some people? I feel like some people would be watching it going like, "Okay, we get it, Roger. You've already got the Oscar. Just well, fine. We'll give you another one. Just, just it's great." Yeah. Anyway, I I, I really think people should watch it, and it is. Yeah. Um, it's a great, you know, it's it's a worthy. You know, you don't see many films about. You don't see many films about World War One. No, and, you don't. Um, you don't. Um, you know, you re- you really see um, very few war films coming out these days of any real quality. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of the last really good. Well, Dunkirk's good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, the, I, are the I rumors mean, about uh, Ridley Scott's Battle of Britain film true? Yeah, I don't know if that. I mean, that was bandied about a while ago but i don't know if that's actually gonna get made at all i don't know he's got so many movies he's he's trying to do he's got like one film with matt damon and ben affleck he's doing or something what why i have no idea i've seen enough films with those two idiots yeah okay well anyway go watch 1917 everyone it's wonderful yes go see it it's well, we just ruined it for you so hopefully yeah. you agree with us oops <laughs> oh well not the probably not the first podcast to spoil the whole movie for people who haven't seen it yet. No, and I think I think you can't really talk about this film properly unless you spoil it. So yeah, yeah. If we attack where the line is strongest, then Fritz will think that our reconnaissance is a total shambles. This will lull him into a sense of false security, and then next week we can attack where the line is actually badly defended and win the greatest victory since the Winchester flower arranging team. Beat Harrow by 12 saw bottoms to one. Permission to shout bravo at an annoyingly loud volume, sir. Permission granted. Bravo! <laughs> That's the spirit. Um, what are you doing now? Are we doing recommendations and stuff? Yeah, let's do recommendations. That sounds like a really good thing. Do you want to recommend me first? Sure. Have you seen Day of the Outlaw with Robert Ryan? Uh, it's a great I... top film is um a western set in wyoming it's black and white in the snow bell lives isn't it no i haven't i was thinking of another movie with robert mitchum where he's playing a, a sheriff at a town and he's coming for revenge or something i'm talking about robert ryan oh robert oh sorry i thought you said robert uh, this mitchum. is a really good movie it's a it's a it's a west it's a western set out in the snowbound town in wyoming and it started mm-hmm. it, it's very unpredictable and um and it's very um it's just sort of philosophically quite interesting. It doesn't have the normal um, protagonist antagonist structure of a of a regular western, um, and um, it, it feels quite sort of European almost. It has a, it, and it has a mythic feeling that something even you know makes it feel like it could have been um, inspired a little bit by like Kurosawa or something. It, it's it's a really interesting movie, beautifully shot in black and white. What year did it come out? Nineteen fifty nine. Okay, so it came a bit out before. Spaghetti Westerns. Yeah, it, and it, yeah, it feels like an American film in that sense, but it does have a... It has, When I say it feels European, I, I mean more like it feels like Bergman, almost. Yeah. Okay. Not uh, like Sergio Leone. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely check that out. That sounds like a really cool film. And I do like Robert Ryan. He's, 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 oh, an he's act- so good at everything. I think he was a very underrated actor who didn't get as many lead roles as he should have. No, but the ones he does have, like this one, are fantastic. There's another great film called On Dangerous Ground where, where he's in it and Ida Lupino plays a blind woman. Um, where, again, in, in this film he plays a sort of a, a good guy who's also a bit of a shit. And uh, the same is true of, of, of On Dangerous Ground, which uh, I think was directed yeah. by Nicholas Ray. And um, it, uh, yeah, I mean, both performances are great. Nice. 
Well, the film I'm going to recommend to you is not a Western, but it is an older movie uh, from uh, 1969, one of the uh, most popular films at that, at, in the, of that year, and that is the Paul Mazursky uh, film, uh, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Oh, never seen it. It's really good. It's basically um, a film where uh, Bob and Carol, played by Robert Culp and Natalie Wood, they go to some sort of uh, hippie Isaian style retreat, and then they just come back, like embracing so much of what they experienced there, and they try to sort of like bring that newfound philosophy on their very uh, conservative friends, uh, Ted and Alice, played by Elliot Gould and uh, Diane Cannon. And this was one of Elliot Gould's uh, first movies, and I think he was not. Yeah, he was nominated for an Oscar along with uh, Diane Cannon. And it was also uh, nominated for Best Cinematography and Best Original Screenplay. I mean, fucking hell. Elliot Gould in the 70s. I know this is 69, but you know, he had a great decade. Yeah, I think this came... Yeah, it, did, it came just before MASH. It was a great introduction to his character. And it's a really interesting film just looking at, like, sexual politics and also just relational relationship in, in, in like, how people look at different things. Like, even when... There's like there's like something that happens in the film and Natalie Wood's like really okay about it and Diane Cannon is like why why are you so okay with this you shouldn't be okay with this at all and it's just like looking at two different dynamics of how certain people look at the world and then how other people do it and it's a really interesting uh, really interesting movie and I think it's a film that like everybody should see I think it's one of those like it's not like iconic in any sense but it is very it it deals with some very heavy themes that I think some people in that in that time particularly in that year, 1969, were really sort of tackling and starting to sort of put into their films. And it's a very well, uh, well-written well and uh, directed movie, and it's got some great performances. Great. Well, check it out. Whose yeah. birthday is it today? Whose birthday is it today? Um, top of the list, Kevin Costner. Huh. Is there... Well, a, do you have, like, a favorite Kevin Costner movie? Oh... They're all so bad. Um, no, I mean, there are some really good ones. Um, Dance with Wolves is, is, has got its issues. We've talked about... Have we talked about it on this thing? I don't think we have mentioned it. It's probably come up here and there, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a... You know, it has its limitations and its problems, but it is a great movie in its own right. Um, yeah. He's very annoying in that film. He's one of the reasons why it's less good than it should be. He's a great director. He's a terrible actor. Um, I he's fun in Silverado, a little bit too much fun sometimes, but um, yeah. that's a good western from the eighties. Um, I kind of like his very epic but massively flawed movie Wide Earth, but then again, that film has a lot of issues. Oh yeah, that's that was the came out the same year as Tombstone. I mean, what are yours? But like, yeah. it, it's interesting with that film. Like Kevin Costner, he felt he was actually trying to sort of. I, I can't remember some I don't know if this is actually true but I think he was trying to sort of sabotage a little bit like they wanted they got all the costumes that the Tombstone filmmakers wanted to get and then he got them and then they were trying to get their movie f- thrown into cinemas first and then that film made no money at the box office yeah I mean I think Tombstone's a better film yeah it is it's a much better movie um Kevin Reynolds who uh directed him in uh Robin Hood the Prince of Thieves also uh directed uh the movie waterworld and the, it, it is like waterworld is one of those huge disaster movies and like a lot of people probably just like you know hate each other on that movie set 
and apparently uh, Kevin Reynolds and him fought and Reynolds walked off the project and then Kevin Costner stepped in to direct it and Reynolds uh, was quoted and this is on the IMDb trivia page as saying Kevin Costner should only star in movies he directs that way he can work with his favorite actor and favorite director <laughs> I mean he's I don't know he, he seems like a real piece of work I did enjoy him in um, the miniseries Hatfield and McCoy's yeah have you seen any of that new TV show that he's in that's created by uh, the guy who did uh, Sicario and Wind River, the no, Yellowstone. Looks, looks interesting. Yeah. Anyway, Kevin Costner, happy birthday. Yeah. Um, happy birthday to Dave Bautista, who plays Drax in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the really big, uh, muscly guy. Yeah. In that film, he's actually a really good actor. He's really good in uh, in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. He shares one scene with uh, with Ryan Gosling's character, and he is fantastic like really can like in a very small amount of time in that movie he just creates like a really moving character oh cool i still need to see that so uh happy birthday to screenwriter jason siegel also an actor he was in how i met your mother he played marshall and he's also famous for a lot of judd apatow's films uh may uh one of them is uh forgetting sarah marshall which also stars uh russell brand uh, he wrote the one of the Muppets movies that came out a few years ago, and he was in it, wasn't he? Yeah, he's also in it. Yeah, I like that. I, 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 he's he's fun, Jason Segel. Yeah, he's really good. I would like to see a film where he play. There's a film of his called The End of the Tour, where he plays um, David Foster Wallace, hmm. which is supposed to, which is supposed to be pretty good. Uh, happy birthday to uh, our, uh, one of uh, my favorite actors, uh, Cary Grant. Oh, Harry Grant. Uh, Grant. I can't do a Harry Grant impression. Um, he's he's brilliant. We watched uh, Notorious last night, and um, I don't I don't think I've ever watched that movie all the way through. I've seen it like I, that's one of the best Hitchcock films. Yeah, I know. I think I remember when we like we recorded it on VHS a very very long time ago. But I don't think I really got into it as much as I as I should have been. Oh, it's very good. Do you, by the way, do you have Rebecca on DVD? No, but I have seen it. It's very good. Fuck, because I can't find a good DVD copy of it anywhere. Really? Yeah, I don't know what the I don't know what's happened. Oh, surely I have it somewhere. Can you keep an eye out for it? Yeah, I can try and see. I've, I mean, I'm always keeping an eye on some of these like box sets just to see if like some of those like films like end up in there or something like that. Yeah, well, so keep yeah. Anyway, keep an eye out for that, and if, if you see it, uh, snap it up. Um, yeah, Cary Grant's a master. He is um, he is a brilliant at uh, obviously at comedy. I think will mostly be remembered for his comic performances. But he was really well um, used by um, dramatic directors as well. Like I think one of his early roles that I really I think is is, is just great is in Howard Hawks's um, Only Angels Have Wings. Uh, oh, Only Angels Have Wings. Yeah. That's a great film. and. Um, and obviously, this, there's um, the hits, the stuff he did with Hitchcock, which is really great too. Um, yeah, so he's you know wonderful. Yeah, um, my my favorite performance of his is in uh, North by Northwest. Yeah, I mean that sort of peak Cary Grant in some ways. Um, and um, but yeah, I think for me, it's it's bringing up Baby. Um, I just can't. His chemistry with Catherine Hepburn and that is is just amazing. Yeah, he just. 
he's he's fantastic in that film and also Catherine Hepburn as well that is a that is a brilliant film oh, she's just she's on fire I mean just absolutely amazing yeah um, so yeah but he's a legend I mean Cary Grant is an absolute legend the way he he's also a style icon he is um the he's sort of the the, the very kind of essence of like the debonair mid-century gentleman you know he's so elegant mm. he's so um you know he's he's kind of handsome in that weird way you know with his kind of cleft chin and everything no he's, he's just a great figure amazing rumors are that he and randolph scott had a bit of a thing and that's a wonderful thing to imagine <laughs> you do it for randolph scott randolph scott <laughs> Uh, happy birthday to writer-director David Ayer, who uh, became very well-known back in 2001, where his screenplay for Training Day was uh, was bought up, and uh, and then his career, he's gone off and done a lot of urban uh, films set in uh, south-central Los Angeles, and he also directed the war film Fury with uh, Brad Pitt. Yeah, that's got a lot of problems. Yeah. Uh, he also wrote the very... <laughs> The incredibly inaccurate war film U five seven one. Speaking of a film that's got a lot of problems, oh my god! Yeah, and I just read on. I read a while ago. He is apparently going to be directing, writing, and directing a remake. I I can't believe I'm actually saying this. He's remaking uh, the Dirty Dozen, but not just the. Uh, it's set in in the Second World War. It's a modern day version of the Dirty Dozen. Oh, well, that's, I mean, I can live with that, but fuck off. <laughs> yeah, his career did get a little bit sidelined when he uh, he did the Suicide Squad uh, DC film where Jared Leto played the Joker, and then he, he did that Netflix movie Bright, which is basically Lord of the Rings meets Training Day, where Will Smith is a cop partnered with an orc who's a cop as well, and they have to protect this what? elf. It's basically, it's set in is the world... Are you joking? No, this is an actual film that was made. Jesus Christ, and no one, and, and this is the thing, like Stanley Kubrick is turning in his grave, he never got to make the phone, let you could make a film about him, fucking, uh, next, who's the next person? Uh, well, speaking of Dunkirk, one of the actors from Dunkirk has his birthday today, and that is the uh, Academy Award winning actor, Mark Rylance. Oh, he's good. Yeah, he's very good. He's, he's good in good actor, great in Wolf Hall. Yeah, he's very good in Bridge of Spies, I thought he was very good in that. Yeah, uh, which is not a great film, but he is—he's good in it. Yeah, yeah, he's going to be in a new film from uh, written and directed by Aaron Zorkin, which is called *The Trial of Chicago of the Chicago Seven, hmm. which is a story about the people on trial and the various tra- uh, charges. The seven people from Chicago who are on trial—is that what it's about? <laughs> yeah, it's. Be- I'm reading the uh, synopsis on IMDb. The story of seven people on trial stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois. Well, that's going to be interesting. Huh? Yeah. Um, it's going to be a very soapboxy movie from Aaron Zorkin. Yeah, that's to be expected. Um, yeah. Um, happy birthday to uh, what, uh, an actor who played one of the great uh, screen villains of all time, and that is the actor Paul Freeman, who played Belloc in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, he's good. And you know, I saw him in the third season of, well, third season, the third, the third miniseries of uh, the British uh, House of Cards, uh, the original BBC House of Cards. He's really mm. good in that, too. 
and he's all, he does pop up with a bunch of other great uh, old uh, British actors in Edgar Wright's film uh, Hot Fuzz, where he plays the Reverend Philip Shooter, and he has that great line, oh, fuck off, grasshopper. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. But his performance as Belloc is is pretty fantastic. Yeah, he's 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 just a, a I mean, you know, that's that's a dream part for any kind of um, British character actor. You get to do a funny voice and, and be a baddie, you know. Yeah. Easy, easy peasy. Yeah, I think for anyone who's interested in learning or like not learning about Raiders of the Lost Ark, but actually listening to people talking about the Lost Ark, there's a really good episode about the Script Notes uh, podcast where John August, who wrote uh, Big Fish, and Craig Mazin, his podcast partner, who recently has had huge success with the Chernobyl TV series, where they dissect the entire film from a screenwriting perspective of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it's a really, really interesting episode and it really makes you look at the film in a different way. It makes you like the film a lot more when they talk about it. So I recommend that episode. Oh, cool. Okay. There's another similar oh. episode where they talk about Unforgiven, which is that. also pretty good. So happy birthday to MC Ganey, who uh, most people will, well, some people might know. He has that, like, he's that guy who's in that other film, but we know him from our favorite guilty pleasure. He plays Swamp Thing in Con Air. He's the guy that says, well, there's some people on this plane who don't give a flying fuck. <laughs> Get it? Flying fuck? I'm here all week. Oh, vaguely, yeah. Yeah, when they're okay. flying away from Carson City after John Malkovich shoots the guy and stuff. I remember that yeah. film pretty well, more than most people do. Yeah, I, 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 yeah I, I can picture him. Oh, well, that's good. Nice, to, nice that his birthday is today. Oh, happy birthday to British director John Borman, whose uh, film uh, Point Blank we talked about on a previous episode. Yeah, has that come out yet? Yeah, that has come out. I've been, sorry, I've been a bit delayed with that one. I'm uh, sorry, just things got carried, carried away. But it is edited and it's ready to put out. So it is ready to listen along with this episode when it comes out as well. Are they going to come out at the same time? Uh, I think one will come out from, you know, one before the other. So, yeah. So just a little plug. That that episode is ready to listen on the podcast sites uh, that I will mention at the end of the episode. Okay, great. He went away to do his bit the other day With a smile on his lips and his lieutenant bits upon his shoulder bright and gay As the train moved out he said Remember me to all the birds Then he wagged his paw and went away to walk Shouting out these pathetic words Goodbye that concludes another episode of the Holmes Movies Podcast. We've been talking about the film 1917, and we both, uh, me and Adam, say go see it and see it on the biggest uh, screen that is available in your town yes. or city. I went to go see it at the Imperial Cinema here in Copenhagen, which um, is a very big screen. I, I saw Roma in that cinema as well and the sound design amazing like in that room Dolby Atmos like that that's the perfect place to see a film see a film yeah. like this we saw The Phantom Menace there yeah I, that, that, that's 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 true I actually went to see The Hateful Eight there like the roadshow version which with the interval in between yeah which was quite fun but anyway yeah so you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Holmes Movies Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter at Fabricius91, F-A-B-R-I-C-I-U-S-9-1. 
We are on Apple Podcasts, Podomatic, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and TuneIn. And you can also follow, well, should we call it our blog or my blog or... Uh, call it your blog because I haven't done anything for ages. I keep every episode we do, I say, I owe you a thing. And I, I've just been, um, yeah, I've had excuses. No excuse, so I've just, I've fucked up. Yeah, well, you are, you have a very, you, you have a busy time. You have a busy life, so it's, well, it's fine. Uh, yeah, you know. But you know, if you ever feel if if there's ever a moment if there's ever a moment where you really want to write something, you definitely I'll post it up there. Good. Cool. That's a note. Yeah. That, uh, that space available. I will. I promise you, I will do something at some point. Yeah. Well, what about? Should I still plug bygone years? The pop blog you did with the. Uh... Yeah, Andrew and I kind of let that fall by the wayside. I think the problem with me when I moved abroad, um, I wouldn't. Yeah, I feel like that's. We never really finished the project, um, but it's uh, it's still there. People can look it up. But um, you can bug where I work now at the Du Bois Center in uh, yeah. UMass Amherst, and that's uh, you know that's an interesting institution, um, interesting center within a larger institution, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. Anyone who wants to find uh, interesting reading material in the troubled times that we live in could do worse than reading material buyer about W.E.B. Du Bois and yeah. uh, it's my sort of job to promote his legacy in the world um, and uh, introduce him to new audiences so if you're out there and you're wondering what to read next may I recommend you start with Souls of Black Folk and go from there yeah. uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Du Bois UMass mm. I really want to read that book yeah it's, it's fantastic um, so that I guess that's my plug for the week nice good plug and yeah you're on Instagram good plug <laughs> Twat. <laughs> it is a good. It's not like a radio wonder. Good plug. <laughs> I didn't mean to make it sound that pretentious. No, 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 no. That's fine. Uh, can we get out of here? I'm, I'm knackered. I, I want to go and have some Sunday fun. All right. Okay. Cool. Um. Yeah. Well, that concludes our episode. I've been Anders Holmes. I continue to be and will probably remain Adam Holmes. And uh, I've been Anders Holmes, and I, I, I did. You just said that. You said you've been Anders Holmes. Oh you right. Still... <laughs> Oops. Well, um, have a good day. Stop saying that. Of course, he's the fucking father. <laughs> <laughs> what are you playing at, darling? Yeah. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Goodbye. 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 Wipe the tear, baby dear, from your eye. Though it's hard to what I know I'll be tickled to death to go Don't cry, don't sigh There's a silver lining in the sky Bonsoir, oh, Oh, sir, just one thing. If we should happen to tread on a mine, what do we do? Well, normal procedure, Lieutenant, is to jump 200 feet into the air and scatter yourself over a wide area. <laughs> <laughs>